I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Welcome to LiveWire, everybody. I'm Luke Burbank. How is your week going? Hope you're having a good one. We have a great show for you this week. Uh, We were at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, Washington, and the theme that we went with was Word on the Street, um, which worked out well because the streets around the Neptune Theater in Seattle, they are streets that I know very, very well. Uh, because I grew up around there. Let me explain from the stage at the Neptune. We have a a great show for you. Uh, Our theme this week is Word on the Street. And it just so happens that these streets around the Neptune Theater are streets that I know very, very well because I grew up here. Not in the theater, like fan of the opera style, but like a couple miles from here. And so I used to ride my bike around here all the time. I used to ride my skateboard. Regrettably, for a couple of years, I used to ride my unicycle (laughs) around here. I had a unicycle phase from about the age 13 to 15. And I'm not super proud of it, if I'm going to be honest. At the time, I was very proud of it. Like... All 105 pounds of me, acne just starting to really come into bloom, (laughs) unicycling down the Ave. (laughs) I really thought I was living my best life. (laughs) And then at some point, I saw a picture of me on the unicycle that my mom had taken. (laughs) And that was the day I put it in the front yard with a free sign taped to it. Um, I got into the unicycle because of the Seattle Public School District, actually which in the 1980s decided that for gym class, having kids stand like two feet from each other and throwing balls at each other's face as hard as they could, they realized that was sort of a liability and a lawsuit waiting to happen. So they instituted a new policy, which was a series of non-competitive athletic skills that we would learn instead of things like football and soccer and and dodgeball, which we called Socum. I don't know if that's just a Seattle thing. So they changed these rules with the gym class, and I know that it was an attempt 
to try to cut down on bullying that was going on. But I have to be honest, when you graduate a bunch of fifth graders whose main skills are scarf juggling and unicycle, you're really teeing it up for the middle school bullies. <laughs> so we showed up for gym class one day. It was outside, and there was just like four unicycles lying there. And we said, what are we supposed to do with these? And Mr. Wilburn, the gym teacher, said, figure it out. And so we did. By the way, this was the 80s, so there were no helmets. <laughs> just like 40 fourth graders trying to ride a unicycle on asphalt, mostly unsupervised. It is a miracle any of us survived, but we did. Some of us actually thrived. Like, I had kind of a knack for the unicycle. And when you're a little kid, it's really exciting when you actually figure out you're kind of good at something, right? Because you're just, you're just trying to figure out what kind of person you're going to be, and you want to feel special, and you want to feel like you have some, something going for you. And for me, that was the unicycle. I was like the best unicycle rider of the different kids. And so... It kind of became my little calling card, and a few years later, my mom saw a unicycle at a garage sale, presumably put out by someone who had recently seen a photo of themselves on the unicycle, <laughs> which is really the circle of life with that particular uh, vehicle. So I, I got this unicycle from the, from the garage sale, and I would ride it all over town, and I really thought I was, uh, I thought I was you know, living moss. And then I, I grew out of the unicycle phase, and I, you know, stopped riding it. I, uh, you know, started riding a 10-speed because it was like a more efficient way to get around, and I also was hoping at some point a girl would talk to me. So I didn't think about the unicycle for like 20 years until one day I was sitting in the grass having a picnic at Cal Anderson Park on Capitol Hill, and I'm with my girlfriend at the time and a couple of friends, and what do I see just coming over the ridge on the path, but like an adult dude, white guy with dreadlocks, unicycling, unironically. <laughs> and I don't, to this day, know why I did this, but I just instinctively reached for the first thing I could grab, which in this case was a little plastic to-go packet of guacamole. And from like a seated position, and this guy was like a half a football field away. I just whizzed this guacamole at him. And right when it left my hand, I knew that I had made a terrible mistake, and I knew that this throw was totally on the money. Because <laughs> it flew across the park and nailed him, and he fell off the unicycle. And he was so confused. He was like looking around. We were really far away. Even if he could have seen us, there's no way he would have suspected that a 36-year-old guy would have done that. And I've thought about that moment hundreds of times since it happened. And I've really regretted it. I've regretted throwing it at him. I've regretted not jumping up and walking over and apologizing, just saying like, hey, I don't know why I did that. I used to ride the unicycle when I was a kid. I have a lot of embarrassment around it. I thought maybe being mean to you would like distance me from that memory. I feel like that's a lot to lay on a person you just met <laughs> who you just hit with guacamole. I just wish 
I would have said something. And it's just been one of those things that's just sort of always been in the back of my mind. And I, had, I realized something this week. I was like, white guy with dreadlocks, unicycle rider, Capitol Hill. There's a 100% chance this guy is a public radio listener. <laughs> and is probably listening to this right now. So I can finally apologize to him like I should have done all those years ago. So I just want to say Leif. His name's probably Leif. Um, <laughs> Leif, I'm really sorry I did that. I have a lot of problems. I, uh, you didn't deserve that, man. And you don't have to forgive me. You don't owe that to me. But I'd really appreciate it if you did. And if you ever want to just hang and go unicycle around Green Lake, I'm totally down. <laughs> I'm really sorry, man. So... I just wanted to get that off my chest kind of at the beginning of the show. I feel ready to do the show. So let's get our first guest out here. Our first guest currently serves as the civic poet of Seattle. She's also a performance artist and published three books just in 2017. So what are you doing with your life? Please welcome the vibrant and talented Anastasia Renee to Livewire. Anastasia, welcome to Livewire. Thank you. So you are the civic poet of Seattle. I am. It's a new post. I've become, been the civic poet since September. What are the duties of a civic poet? <laughs> um, the cool thing about being the civic poet, it's only, I'm only the second civic poet. So you sort of get to decide what you want to do in the community. So it's, you, just, you sort of decide, decide what you want to do for two years. My goal is to work a lot and do some intergenerational gap building. So I'll be curating a series where I always have a youth poet, a poet over 60, an emerging poet, and a seasoned poet, followed by a 30-minute workshop. And I'll be doing a lot of um, pop-up workshops and, and writing things trying to bring people in the community together that probably wouldn't be booked together or maybe not even reading poetry. How do you know when a poem is done? Like, or when it's good and ready for the world? I cheat. I send it out anyway. Um, even if you don't think it's ready? Well, I'm a series writer also. Like, I don't want to write a 23-page poem. So if, if, if a topic just won't leave me alone, I will do a series of the, of the same topic. That's my way to sort of get, get in around not being finished with something. But for me, I never really know if it's done. The poem might talk to me after it's already published, and I might write another iteration of the same piece. We're talking to Anastasia Renee. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. She is the civic poet of Seattle. We're coming to you from the Neptune Theater this week. Um, is this a time when you're writing poetry where you feel like because of the political kind of situation and because of the way the world feels, um, a lot of times it feels like people are just so, so divided on some of the most basic things, like basic objective facts of the world are no longer things that everybody agrees are basic object objective facts. Is that something you can address with poetry? I mean, is that in your mind when you're working these days, like the wider world and what's going on? I think it, one thing I love about writing is that I'm a hybrid writer, so I don't just write poetry. So I can get some wiggle room in some fiction or microfiction or, or even editorial essays. But 
When you wake up one day and you happen to be everything the president hates, I must say, you're right about it. Um, and so writing has been my saving grace. Writing is my protest. I'm not going to be outside with a picket sign, but I'm definitely going to write. So I'm an activist writer. Yeah. What does that just feel like as a human being when you wake up one morning as a, uh, a person of color, a woman, and you feel like the president of the country has it out for you? As a queer woman of color who is also a mom, um, raising black children in America, it doesn't feel great. And you also have to keep moving. I watch people around me. I do wonder what it might be like to wake up and not be that. I have no idea what it might be to wake up and not be the thing that the president hates. I have no idea what it might be like to, to read the news and say, oh, those are horrible statistics, but it doesn't apply to me. I don't know what it's like to be an ally um, in that way. I am constantly in it 24-7. So I think that's the bigger lesson for other people to understand. I don't, I don't get to take a break from being who I am. So, that sounds, I write about it. Yeah, I was gonna say, that sounds like it would really be exhausting. It is, but I get some, some energy by exchanges like this. This, is, this. this helps me as a writer, as a creative person, as an activist. Uh, you brought something to read. I did. What have you selected? Well, I thought I would go light for me. Okay. So I'm going to read a zombie poem from... <laughs> <laughs> this is Anastasia Renee, the civic poet of Seattle on Livewire. Zombie one. You will never tell them you are a zombie, that you have been awake since the last time you were killed, that your metamorphosis is a lucid nightmare sticky with hope and antifreeze that you have schooled yourself to walk with your hands down to your side, drop your shoulders, that you have learned not to do the sambo shuffle, let your legs drive your feet instead, and the dogs try and sniff you out, try and make you remember, zombie girl, who you were when you were alive, make you recognize your silhouette when it can't Fill the sun or raindrop whispering down the calamity in your Jane. That is Anastasia Renee, the new civic poet of Seattle, right here on Livewire. Anastasia, thank you so much. Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, who partners with farmers to help ensure no meat in store has added hormones or antibiotics. Because the words mystery and meat don't need to apply to this week's lunch. Whole Foods Market. We believe in real food. You're listening to Livewire from PRI. We've got to take a short break, but we will be right back. Livewire gets support from Fully. Hey, do you sit motionless behind a desk all day? I know, it's not great, right? 
It's why everybody these days is getting those standing desks because your body is meant to move and no amount of after work yoga and downward dogging and cross-fitting or whatever you do can undo the damage of being at your desk all day. That is where Fully comes in. Based in Portland, Oregon, they make and sell desks and chairs that have changed my life. Because right now, I'm actually sitting on a TikTok stool as I record this. And my body is engaged and the blood is flowing. And I am so creative. Can't you just hear it in my voice how creative I am? They're also the folks responsible for the Jarvis sit-stand desk that I use when I am hosting Livewire at the Alberta Rose Theater. And they are the exclusive U.S. carrier of the Capisco chair that I also use when I am hosting the show. Listen, I'm not telling you not to do yoga. I'm not even telling you not to wear yoga pants. Also, say namaste if you want. I'm just saying you don't have to do your body in by sitting still all day in a traditional chair in front of a traditional desk. Head over to fully.com slash livewire to find out about all the cool stuff they're doing. Welcome back to Livewire from PRI. I am your host, Luke Burbank. Our theme this hour is Word on the Street, and words are something our next guest knows all about. She was the copy chief for BuzzFeed.com, which put her on the front lines when it came to how the internet uses written language. That led to her new book. It's called A World Without Whom, The Essential Guide to Language in the BuzzFeed Age. Please welcome Emmy Favilla to Livewire. Emmy Favilla, welcome to Livewire. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So you work for BuzzFeed. Uh, it is a website. You have lots of actually very serious news articles, but also lots of fun and kind of frivolous posts and listicles, uh, which currently include 24 grandparents who are effing out of control. And we know if you're an introvert or an extrovert based on your Cheesecake Factory order. Sounds about right. Two of the current things on BuzzFeed. I think people would be surprised if to hear that you guys actually have a style guide. Like, there are rules for how you describe these various things. There, there certainly are. Um, I created the style guide in 2012. That was the year that we actually started really ramping up um, the BuzzFeed News Division and started doing a lot of news content. Um, the powers that be decided, well, it would kind of be nice to have a copy editor because now we're actually, you know, a, a news outlet. And, uh, and By that the was way, it. let me just clarify for folks, style guide, like the AP style guide is the Associated Press's rules for like how you write about things when you're writing a story and you know, the New York Times, big media outlets all have their style guide. So we're talking about that for this website, BuzzFeed. Now, a lot of the stuff though that does come up is, has never existed before, right? Right. That you're trying to figure out, well, how do we technically write how do we officially write about this thing that has never existed until this internet video happened? Exactly. And I think, you know, the style guide needed to be something that had rules for stories about how Harry Styles was wearing a weird hat the other day, and also stories about, you know, uh, abuses at, you know, mental health facilities, big investigative pieces that we were doing. So, um, so it really needed to include a mix of both, you know, the lighthearted, fun stuff that you'll see on our word list, um, like Cash Me Outside. How about that? Yeah, speaking of which, I, I, in your book, you, you write about 
Cash Me Outside, which, for those of you who missed it, was a, uh, a 13-year-old girl on the um, Dr. Phil show, very rebellious, and she was trying to fight the whole audience. And she was so crazy on this show that she became kind of a meme that you guys were writing about. I'm just going to play, folks, a little bit of what this sounded like. <laughs> Take a listen. Because you're too streetwise? Yup. And all these hoes laughing like so funny. She's talking about the audience that they're laughing at her. Did, did you say the, the, the hoes are laughing? Yep. So the audience are a bunch of hoes? Yep. I'm not 100% sure why the audience is clapping when they found out that they're a bunch of hoes. Well, but they did, but let me play the rest of it here. Catch me outside, how about that? Huh? Catch me outside, how about that? Catch you outside? What does that mean? So you had to make up the official rule for BuzzFeed of how Cash Me Outside is spelled? Exactly. So we were doing all of these stories about how this became, you know, meme-worthy fodder, and there was so much contention about how to spell this. And, you know, would we spell it literally Catch Me Outside? How about that? That didn't really do justice to... Seems a little formal. Exactly, yeah. And that, I mean, I think that that is the BuzzFeed style guide in a nutshell, like figuring out where to bend the rules. What did you go with, by the way? What's the official... BuzzFeed style guide on Cash Me Outside? Um, I believe we went with C-A-S-H, so Cash Me, M-E. And then I think we went with spelling it outside, but there was, there was some argument about whether we should spell it O-U-S-S-I-D-E, because she kind of like, yeah. <laughs> and then H-O-W-B-O-W. How about that? Separate word, D-A-H. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but, you know, that isn't to say that our style guide is all, you know, silly words and things like that. Um, we actually devote a pretty big chunk, I would say the majority of the style guide is actually devoted to how to talk appropriately about more sensitive topics. Um, so we have sections for how to talk about topics that affect the LGBTQ community, um, how to talk about people uh, dealing with disease, disability disorders, um, we have a section on uh, sexual assault and rape and mental health and suicide and, and all of that stuff and sort of how to, uh, best practices for writing about this sort of stuff and, and reporting about it in a fair way. The, I forget the specific name of the chapter, but you have a whole chapter about basically... How not to be a jerk. How not to yes. be a jerk. Yeah. And I think this is something that people bump up against as we have, I think thankfully, more ways of describing people who are having different experiences, different pronouns that we're using now. There's a lot of stuff that still feels a little bit like uncharted territory. And people can sometimes be intimidated by that because they don't want to say the wrong thing or write the wrong thing or somehow be insensitive. But they also feel like they're having a hard time keeping track of what the sort of latest thing is. Um, how do you handle that? Yeah, um, I mean, I think the, the one most important thing to keep in mind is that language is constantly evolving and constantly changing. And, you know, you can't be so fixed in your ideas about what is the proper way to talk about people or describe certain people or things. Um, well, first of all, I think it's great that we live in an era where there, is, there are so many resources for us to consult to figure out how to appropriately talk about things. You know, you can tweet something and the people who, uh, you know, the people who have answers to this will let you know, you know, activists and people who are dealing with like the things that you are not sure how to talk about appropriately. But one thing that has been most interesting to me is that um, the BuzzFeed style guide 
we have a guideline about uh, using person-first language when speaking about people with disabilities. So basically that means putting the person first, so saying a person with disabilities, or I'm sorry, a person with a disability rather than a disabled person this way. Um, the, the idea there is that you're not defining a person by their disability, but you are defining them as a person first. And recently someone tweeted at me, uh, a disabled person or person with a disability, and she said, you know, people who aren't disabled are the people who are kind of driving this idea and the kind of and it it seems to imply that having a disability is a negative thing that shouldn't define someone whereas people who are disabled or have disability however you prefer to be described um, actually often prefer it the other way by the way we have Emmy Favela here her book is a world without whom um, she was the uh, copy chief at the website BuzzFeed when it comes to trying to properly identify people and write about people in a way that's inclusive, it really is a learning process for everybody. And I think the number one thing you have to do, and I'm not great at this, is you got to leave your ego at the door, right? Absolutely, yeah. And you can't, you know, you can't be defensive about this sort of stuff. And I think that language is such, you know, a, a personal, fluid thing. And I think that, you know, that's beautiful. It's a living language. It's why, it's, it's why English is in Latin, you know, and it's constantly changing. And I think we really need to be open to, uh, to, to listening to how other people interpret certain phrases in ways that we may not have necessarily realized they could be interpreted. Uh, you write in the book about how social media has changed punctuation. Yes. What's going on with that? Um, well, I'm cash me outside <laughs> if you get rid of the Oxford comma. Okay. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you to the three people who got that joke. Um, well, first off, millennials are killing periods. Everyone knew that, right? We don't, we don't really, we don't like periods. Really? Anymore. Why not? Because they can come off as aggressive, too serious, too formal. In a text message, if someone sends you a text message that says, meet me there at eight, period. That's terrifying. No? Like, I mean, okay. It depends on the... If it's a person who never uses punctuation in their text, then that's, that's something alarming. So, you know, yeah, it's dependent on, on the, on the okay. sender. Um, but in general, you know, I think we're seeing less use of end punctuation because things are being sent piecemeal. We have... We have the, you know, we can send text messages one sentence at a time. We have the return key to send direct messages once at a, you know, one at a time. Uh, Twitter's limitation on characters. We need to cut corners wherever we can. So we're seeing that. Um, but then we're also seeing periods used in between words for more emphasis, like this period is period, important period to kind of add more drama. Um, what else? We're How do you feel about emojis? emojis. Who doesn't love emojis? Well, I mean, if you're uh, somebody who's a grammar nerd and if you're interested in language, it's definitely a different way of communicating. And it seems like it has, even in my own life, it has replaced a lot of the written language that I used to use. It really has. And I think um, anyone who thinks that emojis are contributing to the demise of our language are so wrong because it actually... They are frowny face, frowny face, <laughs> pizza... I didn't say I understand emojis. I just said I use them a lot. By the way, I don't know who told my parents about emojis, but it's not cool. Because oh, my mom's emoji emojis game so is mystifying. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, emojis are so cool because in a way they're almost the most 
evolved form of punctuation that we have, and they have the ability to lend mood to otherwise moodless phrasing um, and kind of add nuances that we wouldn't otherwise be able to add to sentences with standard punctuation. Not that you speak for all millennials or persons of millennial age. I'm uh, on the cusp, so I, uh, I'm actually... Okay. I, What's, I think there's like a term for people who are like older millennials. There's like the Oregon Trail millennials, they call them or something. Is that because they know. grew up playing Oregon Trail <laughs> I mean, in school? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you may be an Oregon Trail millennial, but of course you don't speak for all millennials. But I'm just curious, like, I have to say, as an old, when I see emojis and I get text messages from my daughter, who's 23, it feels in a way like what I think of as traditional language and traditional way of writing is really deteriorating do you feel like millennials are more or less literate than, 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 than the generations that came before them? I, I think they're an equal level of literate, to be honest. I mean, I think that we are, we're communicate. there are so many different, uh, you know, so many different mediums to communicate on, and the way that you communicate via text, uh, via social media, is very much different than the way that you would write a published piece of journalism or write a cover letter for a job. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, millennials are pretty well-versed at code switching or just sort of changing the way that they speak based on the audience and, and the medium. Um, and I think that every generation has sort of had this like get off my lawn type, uh, you know, attitude toward the, toward the younger generation. I mean, even Socrates, Socrates thought that the younger generation was doomed because they were writing instead of memorizing things. All right, quick cool. final question. Yes. Uh, what is your official word on the Oxford comma? Emmy Favilla as one-time copy chief at BuzzFeed. Pro-Oxford comma. Okay. What, <laughs> what is your feeling on the song Oxford comma by Vampire Weekend? It's okay. A medium on that. Yeah. Okay. Medium. Thank you. I'm glad we know. Emmy Favilla, everyone. Thank Her you. book is A World Without Whom. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Now, people may think Alaska Airlines only flies from cold to colder, but with 1,200 daily flights and 118 destinations, Alaska Airlines is a gateway from the West Coast to the world. Learn more at alaskaairlines.com. Hey, it's Luke reminding you that it's Livewire's fall member drive. This, of course, is the time of year when we... Ask you, the Livewire listener, to become you, the Livewire member. That's right. We are a nonprofit organization, and we are only able to exist because of things like our amazing members who help support the show financially. If you have listened to the program in the past year, and if you feel like it has added some value to your life, uh, we would humbly ask that you consider becoming a member and kicking us a couple of bucks every month. Um, Member support is truly how we are able to do this show. That's not hyperbole. That is not an exaggeration. That is the economic reality of Livewire and how it works. We can only do this because of your support. Um, and if you donate to Livewire during this fall drive, we are going to send you a pair of custom Livewire socks as a thank you. Plus, you get all kinds of other cool stuff when you become a member. And we have all of that information over at Livewire Radio. Dot org. That's where you go to help support the show. 
livewireradio.org. And thank you again from the bottom of our hearts. We really would not be here, would not be able to do this without support from people like you. Livewireradio.org. Our musical guest this hour is a singer who also happens to hold an MFA in fiction, which works nicely with our theme this week, Word on the Street. Her latest record, Empire Builder, has been described as her best record to date, and she's made some really good ones already, I tell you from personal experience. Please welcome back to Livewire, Laura Gibson. Hello. I'm going to try a, a brand new song, um, which means it may go horribly wrong. <laughs> The diamond hands with the quick wit sentences. I have no plans. You're the only home I ever wanted. Now, five floors above the siren moans, steam pipes ticking all morning. I can hear the neighbors' babies through the walls. Love is a songbird with a sickle claw. You with a slow joke grin. Watch the town torn down and built again in the pause between the riddle and the punchline. Held the kite tethered tight to your chest But I was never one to second guess Or draw a line between love and fear of loneliness From my cheek, but I'll keep on shouting from the fire escape. I'll keep shouting from a white fan window, from a bridge, from a field, from a ferry in the harbor, from a soul dark wound in the mountain. I want you.
Thank you. Laura Gibson. Thank you so much. Um, so you, you recently got your MFA? I did, In yeah. fiction? In fiction writing, yeah. Why, some why did some you... fiction fans out there. Yeah, four <laughs> fiction <laughs> fans. <laughs> or four fans of student loan debt. Um, <laughs> why did you decide to do that? You're, you're a beloved and accomplished singer. Well, I just, I mean, I tend to care a lot about challenging myself. And, um, and I think I just wanted, I mean, I've been a fan of, of books for my whole life. And I've, so much of my music has been a response to things I've read. And um, I hit some point where I just really wanted to respond to books I loved by, by writing a book, which I have yet to do. But um, I feel like I've gathered some tools in the past few years, so. Well, we wanted to uh, try to take advantage of the fact that we have you on the show and that you know a lot about literature and you're also very musical because there are all of these classic books, these great works of fiction. But let's be honest, um, between social media and um, you know, House Hunters International, there's a lot out there and our attention spans are just basically shot as a society. So earlier today, we asked you, we gave you a list of, of some famous books. We asked you if you would write a little, like, Cliff's Notes song about the books to just describe the whole plot of the book in 30 seconds or less. <laughs> and uh, I, you were up to the task. Uh, yeah, well, only after you said if it went terribly wrong, you would, you would cut this part. We did agree cover. that if it goes terribly wrong, we will edit it out. That's a standing policy on this show, don't worry. <laughs> and also, by the way, you know, songs help you remember things. I literally have to sing the ABC song inside my head <laughs> probably twice a day if I'm trying to alphabetize something. So, like, things being in musical form is helpful. It's true. Okay, so the first one we wanted you to write a little audio Cliff's Notes uh, song for is Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Okay. You'll never have to read this book now. <laughs> You can stop lying about having read this book, and now you have heard the essence of this book. Sperm well anatomy You may find it fascinating But it won't keep the ship from sinking That was informative and beautiful. Okay, good. Check Moby Dick off the list, everybody. Uh, next, we asked you to tackle the book To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. Casual, breezy topic. <laughs> Have fun with it. Scout Anaticus. Teach us about innocence And also who is leaving the presence <laughs> We only gave her 30 seconds. You're not going to get the whole book. All right. Uh, how about a classic? As my little sisters, I have four younger sisters. They were obsessed with this book and, of course, the TV series. They called it Pret and Pret. Uh, Pride and Prejudice. You can marry 
cousin you can marry a random guy you can marry a lover or a stranger or a friend or a dirty old man or you can die alone in poverty and in shame pride and prejudice we just saved you easily a week of reading all right and finally lord gibson uh, recently minted MFA, uh, we asked you to write just a kind of short, sassy number outlining the basic plot of war and peace. Pierre is married to Helene, but later to Natasha. Natasha was married to Pierre, but only after having feelings for Prince Andre and also Helene's brother Antoli. Pierre is also known as Piotr, but not to be confused with another name, Piotr, who is son of Count and Countess Rostova, also known as Rostov. Maria with the plain face, Mary Natasha's brother Nicholas. Well, Laura, and this is like a it's supposed to be a thirty second thing. I have thirty four more verses. <laughs> I think we're gonna have to just call it. But I appreciate all of your work and all of the explaining. Laura Gibson, everybody. Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, who is committed to ensuring wild-caught seafood is held to standards of sustainability and animal welfare. Because raised well should be a compliment that applies to people and fish alike. Learn more at WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hey, it's Luke. If you would like to help Livewire out at no cost to you in under 15 seconds, here's what you can do. Head over to LivewireRadio.org backslash podcast. Click on the big red survey button at the top of the page, and you'll be automatically entered to win a Livewire totes bag and a t-shirt. Now, if you see someone walking down your street, wearing that t-shirt, rocking that totes bag, it just might be Christopher Massis. How do I know this? Because Christopher took the survey and won himself some sweet swag. We need a hundred more people to take this survey so that we can figure out the best way to reach out to new sponsorship partners. That's livewireradio.org backslash podcast. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Our next guests are known respectively for being really good at music and really good at managing Alex Trebek's wild mood swings. They've combined forces on Omnibus which is described as a podcast for the end of the world. So here's to the three episodes that they're going to get to release. Please welcome Ken Jennings and John Roderick to Livewire. John Roderick, Ken Jennings, welcome to Livewire. Thank you. I'm not here for my rock music expertise. I will defer to John on these matters. What I find interesting about the podcast is that, uh, John, you as, uh, as the musician, and Ken, you as the sort of information person, uh, you do a lot of the information. John? Ken obviously knows a lot. And we've, I mean, like an incredible lot. And we talk a lot about, uh, I mean, I'm in a position to ask the questions that everyone wants to know 
which are like, how does your mind work? Like, how is it possible for you to know as much as you do? Uh, and Ken will say, you know, he's very humble about it and says, oh, it's just a bunch of tricks and I wrote all the answers on my hand and all this stuff. Um, but his mind really does work in an exceptional way and we talk about our, our relative way of learning and, and storing. Mine is all stories, right? I put everything into a story. We are kind of, this is kind of the intersection of the Venn diagram between, you know, rock music and quiz show, you know, has-beens, I guess, you know? Like, I'm in a position where I can hang out with only the most erudite yeah. rock musicians. I feel like that's an extremely narrow Venn diagram overlap. <laughs> um, this podcast is, the premise is that you're going to kind of um, document and talk about obscure but real things that have happened in the world as a kind of a time capsule for people that may come in the future. And I have to say that the way that it is put together, it's a really fascinating podcast, but it's a little eerie listening to you at the top of the show, Ken, saying this is episode number, you give a number, serial number, you give all this information. And it does feel like some person from another planet in a thousand years is going through the wreckage of a Quiznos and they found this weird thing that is omnibus and they're going to learn about our society from it. Well, podcasting is very ephemeral space, right? It's, it's kind of disposable. You listen to somebody yak for 45 minutes and then you're, it's just like a conversation. It's kind of half forgotten and you're on to the next thing. And we really like the idea of creating some authoritative reference work out of this that might survive for millennia, and maybe it's the thing that the, that the, uh, the cockroach people or the fishmen or whoever are listening to in the year 5000 crawling from the wreckage. We, d we do, uh, we find it's a great way to explain things to a general audience too, because we presume that we need to explain everything to a super intelligent coral reef 2000 years from now. We have no sense of who our audience is. It could be the alien invaders, it could be the computer network that went sentient and launched the missiles. It's just a beacon. We're putting it out there into the world. So who had the idea for the podcast? We were on an airplane heading to Atlanta to pitch a podcast without a great idea. And... We had an idea. John had the name. You yeah. wanted to be, to be an encyclopedia. Yeah, I had Omnibus, uh, but no, nothing else. And we were, we were talking about doing a podcast called The Worst, which was going to be all the worst stuff. This, this show is the worst. You can see how the intro works, yeah. right? Well, you can hear it. Yeah. And, uh, and we were on the plane, and we were sitting next to each other, and we were like, the worst. The worst. Do you like this idea? Wait, so you had gotten to the point where you got on the plane, you were flying out there to pitch the podcast. You had not 100% decided what the podcast well, was. Well, we'd already pitched it to them, and they were like, yeah, the worst. We had an idea. We just hated it. <laughs> <laughs> and so somewhere over, like, uh, I don't know, like, Champagne, Illinois, you decided we got to come up with something new. And by the time we landed, we had the whole thing sketched out. Wow. They were super bummed because <laughs> they greeted us at the airport with a huge banner. The worst. Welcome to Atlanta. Can you? T it's called Omnibus? What even is that? I only know about Omnibus because you occasionally hear about this Omnibus spending bill. That is a, a bill that covers a wide range of things that cost money, right? 
Omni Omni is from the Greek for all and bus from bus. Sorry. It literally means the whole bus. What is omnibus? Ken, uh, I apologize. I am off the clock, Luke. I am that not, is such low-hanging Jeopardy fruit. I am I not phrasing anything in the form of a question <laughs> at, you know, 9 o'clock at night. I know. You don't, you don't owe us that. You know what? Let's take a break. I'm going to get myself together. We're going to come back with Ken Jennings and John Roderick. Their podcast is Omnibus. This is Livewire from PRI. Back in a moment. Special thanks this week and this episode to Ellen Saltzman of Seattle, Washington, and Carrie Zim, also of Seattle, Washington. Ellen and Carrie are part of the Livewire community, and they have generously supported us with a donation each month. We are so thankful for their support. It is genuinely what allows this radio show and podcast to keep going. So a huge thanks to Ellen and Carrie. And a quick reminder, it's Livewire's fall member drive. Why don't you follow Ellen and Carrie's example and become a Livewire member this week. We have a great matching donation that's out there, and we have all kinds of cool thank yous as well if you want to sign up to help keep Livewire going. Visit us online at livewireradio.org to find out more. Welcome back to Livewire from the Neptune Theater in Seattle, Washington. We're here with John Roderick and Ken Jennings. Their podcast is Omnibus. Um, it, the the podcast covers real things, like stories of skirmishes and odd events that maybe uh, most people don't know about, but you would like to preserve for future times. It, do you have so far, if you've recorded 20 episodes of this, even though only one is out, do you have, John, do you have kind of a favorite weird fact or event that you've uncovered in your research for this? Uh, well, we learned that the man who invented chlorofluorocarbons also was the man who originally put lead in gasoline. A, a chemist who in the course of his career devised the two greatest pollutants, atmospheric pollutants in the history of humankind. Leaded gas and then he was like, he got lead poisoning from working with leaded gas and in his retirement came up with chlorofluorocarbons. <laughs> Wait, so the same person invented both of those things, and you found this out in researching what? Well, I mean, uh, we both draw from our, um, our natural sort of uh, inclination to just pursue rabbit holes, right? We were both kids that read the encyclopedia, and I'm sure Everyone in here was a kid I'm like sure that. Sure, the public radio audience yeah, is mean, full. Honestly, you are you're you're among friends. Yeah, right. Here, you, you'd sit down, you'd pull a volume out of the shelf, you'd open it up and start reading, and then just follow the encyclopedia where it would take you. Now the internet makes that a very different experience, uh, and so we discover things all the time. Part of our friendship is is the um, is being able to understand the references the other one's making. It's part of the fun of having adult friends. Ken, do you have a, like a favorite thing that, that I mean, again, you're, you're well known for winning a bunch of Jeopardy episodes and, and for, you have these great trivia books and uh, you're known for being a person who knows a lot of stuff. Are you learning things in the creation of Omnibus? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing about Jeopardy is it's testing knowledge that's really just a millimeter thick and very broad. And so for a half-hour, 40-minute podcast, you really have to delve a little. And there's a lot of pleasure in that, in following those little internet tangents and detours and rabbit holes. On the subject of, of which, not to derail this from Omnibus, but 
Uh, Ken, you've been up close and personal with Alex Trebek many, many times. Um, if you had to guess, why does he have such a hard time talking to the contestants during that little interview segment? Because it, it, I, feel, I feel stressed out for the first seven minutes of the show. I have to skip it. Like, I cannot, I physically cannot watch it. What do you think's going on there? Uh, you're seeing a couple different things at work. Mostly the fact that, uh, you know, being very good at a television trivia show does not select for America's three most telegenic people on any given night. But see, I don't even put it on the contestants. I think he has a very weird kind of non-ability to give what I think of as a normal human response when someone tells them <laughs> that they have a cat, you know, they have a cat sweater collection. He'll just go like... I won't go there. Like, his response is always the last thing I expected him to say. Not in a particularly entertaining way, more just in like a stress, it stresses me out way. That may be the format as well. I mean, you have the luxury of, of you know, relaxing here in public radio. Uh, you know, he's allowed access to alcohol. <laughs> it's a totally different vibe. By the way, I, I, I'd heard this, uh, but I don't know if it's a real rumor or one that my friend Andrew started. Is there talk of you maybe being uh, Alex Trebek's replacement if he were to go away? I would be extremely flattered. Like, that guy works three or four days a month. I'm sure they pay him whatever he asks. And uh, he's a sex symbol to every 85-year-old woman in America. It's, <laughs> so you would take the gig if in you get it. In a heartbeat. Let, let me say, uh, being Ken's uh, body man and valet as we travel around... Uh, <laughs> Which explains the outfit, right? As we travel around the country, he is famous... Uh, uh, amid a demographic that I had no idea even had a concept of fame. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll walk into a rock club and it's just like pe people like hand him their coat, but when we go into a supermarket... Or a Hallmark store? On, on Beacon Hill or right, like a store that sells Beanie Babies, they mob him. <laughs> Can you give, uh, since not uh, all of the episodes of Omnibus you've recorded have actually been released, is there, can you give us a preview? Can you dangle something that people are going to learn about in a future episode of Omnibus that is, is worth them tuning in for? We just did Teenage Death Ballads of the 1950s, uh, you know. Ah, that was a real thing, wasn't it? Yeah, people just dying on wet asphalt in every single yeah. hit on the top ten. It's crazy time. A lot of people getting their shoelace stuck on the, around the break. I guess that's <laughs> technically a movie, but that did seem to be a thing. For sure it was a thing. Uh, uh, what, what do you got? Uh, we've talked about all of the, the uncontacted peoples who remain. There are over a hundred groups of uncontacted uh, tribes living in a kind of paleolithic existence around the world. You wouldn't think there were so many, and a lot of them are not uncontacted. They're actually we wearing Chicago Bulls 1986 t-shirts. A year that they didn't win, right? Because that's yeah. the whole thing, right? Is yeah. that they have to make the shirts for both and then the ones that, that they made for the team that didn't win end up in somewhere in Papua New Guinea. Yeah, in, in the future, they'll all be wearing bowling shirts that have flames coming up from the bottom. Not if Guy Fieri has anything right. to do with that's it. That's exactly right. When Guy is finally off the air. John Roderick, Ken Jennings, the podcast is Omnibus. Definitely check it out. Thank you so much. That is going to do it. Thanks to our guests this week, Ken Jennings, John Roderick, Emmy Favilla, Anastasia Renee, 
and Laura Gibson. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, Whole Foods Market, and Fully. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Laura Haddon is our producer and our editor, and Melanie Sevchenko is our assistant editor. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is Awalker Spring, Sam Tucker, and Ethan Fox Tucker. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our house sound this week by Ian Davidson. Our on-air mix by Corey Schreppel. And thank you so much to Mark McLean, Dan Reinhartz, Carlson Audio, everybody over at STG and KUOW, plus the folks at the Neptune Theater. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission and the Regional Arts and Culture Council. Livewire is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we'd like to thank members Ellen Saltzman and Carrie Zim of Seattle, Washington for their support. For more information about our show or how you can get our podcast, head over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. PRI Public Radio International. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.